exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. Good evening. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. Tonight on Exposure, I will be talking with crew or Culturas de las Razas Unidas about their upcoming event, Latin Explosion. Um, a member of the Diversity Board will be in to talk about the Diversity Fair this week. And finally, two-time Grammy-nominated Cuban band Tiempo Libre will come in to talk, or will call in to talk about their upcoming performance at the Wharton Center this week. But first... I have Jack, um, who is the chairman of CREW, or Culturas de las Razas Unidas, to talk about the Latin Explosion. So Jack, tell me a little bit about uh, this event. The Latin Explosion is an event that's been put on for over 10 years. It started off small, then it grew each year, it attracted more and more talent. Basically, it's meant to just showcase the uh, Latino culture, celebrate it, give everybody a small piece of that to take away with them. All right. And talk a little bit about um, the group, Culturas de las Razas Unidas. Um, crew has actually been in existence since the late 1960s, early 1970s, but uh, gained the name Crew in 1993. It's a Latino-based but a very diverse organization on campus. Uh, we have a lot of goals and objectives where you basically want to enhance the uh, student educational experience on campus, bridge gaps between different uh, student populations, do our service to the community, 
I reach out to the Lansing area. Basically want to unify people, educate people, and also be a political, polit politically active in a clever way. And what is your racial or ethnic background, and how did you get involved with CREW? Uh, me personally, I'm, uh, my father's from Nigeria, and uh, my mom was born here in the States. So I'm um, kind of mixed in a couple of different ways, like first generation. Uh, how I got involved in CREW, I had a few friends that were involved in it and the advisor for it at the time. This was back in 2007. Um, now he, he, was, he told me it was a pretty good group, so I checked it out, and I felt comfortable with it. And so I ended up being on the e-board. Um, time came for uh, elections, and at that point in my life, I had, I had made a lot of choices that were... Uh, <clears throat> I really shifted where I was going, and at a lot of those points in time, it was a person of uh, Latin descent that was there to like guide me and help me out. So I felt like, you know, I could be on the e-board and kind of give back in my own way, since somebody had given to me. Now, are most people involved with Carturas de las Razas Unidas? Are they mostly? Um, Latino, or do, I mean, how, where do you feel like you fit in within that group? What do you bring to the table? At first, I felt like I didn't fit, but uh, hmm, I guess that's a tough question. I guess I fit in terms of you know what what I what I do want to bring to the table, and the fact that, or in the sense that I want to do what I can to uh, improve things for our Latinos on campus, make sure they have access to resources, help 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 them to unify. Um, but as I've been more involved, my my vision has expanded. I wanted to give uh, Latino students on campus more exposure to other cultures, other groups, and in turn give other other groups and people from different cultures more exposure to us. Um, and also bridge the gap between students and the administration. So, all right. Um, now let's go back to talk about the Latin explosion that's coming up. When is it again? The Latin explosion is this Friday, January twenty-third. Okay, and when people come, what can they expect to see? Um, they can expect to see a lot of energy. Uh, the theme this year is the Latin Star Awards. Uh, kind of taking the comedic point of view on a lot of uh, Latin celebrities. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to get you excited. Um, basically, just for people to have a good time and celebrate. You know, when people see dancing, is there going to be um, dancing? Or I think you said you were involved in some skits last year. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there'll be some dancing. Uh, we have this uh, folkloric group coming from out of town. There'll be some singing. Uh, some people will sing like some maybe some more traditional songs. Some people will sing some more like contemporary music. Uh, there'll be some poetry, so you'll see some people getting really personal. You might stir your emotions a little bit. And in between acts, we'll have uh, certain skits, where that that's where the theme comes in for the show, Latin Star Wars, because we'll be doing skits uh, where we take on the roles of different uh, Latin celebrities, like some musicians, some actors actresses. How many people are involved in this event? Uh, I guess you could say 25, really. 
Okay. A lot of people put in their own piece. So. Um, and how long have you done this event? Did you do this last year? Or how long have you been involved? I did this event last year, so this would be my second one. Last year was definitely a lot of fun. We uh, Last year the theme was Amor Latino, or Latin Love. So our skits were were based on uh, the telenovelas. They're kind of like uh, Spanish soap operas, more or less. So the so the skits they had a lot of drama in it, a lot of uh, passion. Um, so so this year doing it again it was definitely really fun, and I think I think it's really going to turn out well since we're going to be imitating some celebrities. It's going to be really funny. Yeah. So. Now, what goes into preparing for an event like this? A lot. It takes months of planning. Yeah, you have to book a venue. You have to handle finances and logistics. And also, you have to structure the show. You have to uh, choose a wide range of acts that will give you a different kind of feel. And also, to tie them together, that's where the skits come in. Because we didn't want just want like huge gaps between people performing. So... Uh, so you have to develop a theme and then work to make the acts correspond with the theme and really to make the show flow well. So all those things put together, it definitely takes a lot of work. It's kept me pretty busy. Yeah. Uh, everybody working on it, uh, Nati Galan, uh, Jesse Reyes, Cristina Moreno, um, Rigoberto Lopez. Yeah, had a lot of people working on it, putting their own piece in. So that's why it takes so many people. Yeah. Now, someone came in earlier, the uh, I believe last semester, to talk about the Day of the Dead mm -hmm. um, from Culturas de las Razas Unidas. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, how many events, and she, she was talking about the Day of the Dead and that they were going to put on an event. Um, how many events do you guys put on a year? Uh, it's not really a set number per year. It really depends on what we want to do. Uh, like last semester, we had our general body meetings. Then we had what we called uh, La Semana Latina, or Latin Week, at MSU. So that was like six events right there. So I guess you could say we did, in essence, 12 last semester. Um, this semester, we will have we have our general body meetings. Then we'll have uh, Dia de la Mujer, you know, the Day of the Woman, uh, and also... Uh, Latin Explosion, as we're talking about, and also Brown Pride. And also we'll be planning some other events. So this semester we might have somewhere between 12 and 15. Well, we're not necessarily going for numbers so much as the impact we want to make. Now, what's Day of the Woman and Brown Pride? Day of the Woman is a conference that was started back around the time uh, Crew became Crew uh, by a woman named uh, Maria Zavala. Um, basically, it's meant to uh, empower women. So it's a day, it's a conference, and it has different workshops that address uh, your career, health, relationships, like with your family, uh, romance, and your general well-being. And it's uh, and it's not only something that women could benefit from. I've seen a lot of men go there and learn a lot as well. And even last year, in addition to the workshops. Uh, there were different dances taught. Um, there was a fashion show. There was a play. And also have a keynote speaker. So there's a lot of elements to that. But it's basically meant to uh, strengthen and empower women. 
and brown pride is to um, it's basically to put more substance to uh, to Latino culture. It's kind of different every year. In the past, it's been a resource fair where different Latino student organizations would come and showcase themselves, and we'd have like a speaker and then maybe a dance. But this year, uh, two people that I work with a lot, Adriana Abundis and Gabriela Alcazar, they had a vision to make it a, a little more p politically charged, but also uh, bring some theatric elements to it as well. So uh, we're looking to do that maybe at the, I think maybe the Kellogg Center. But we want to uh, showcase the diversity of the Latino culture um, and, and give people some information uh, and let them learn. Um, but it's kind of a thing where Latinos can be proud and other people, they can, you know, they, they can come and see what Latinos are about. And... I'm sure people will find their own parallels and they can be proud of themselves as well. What is your favorite event that you guys put on every year? You're talking about the Day of the Women, Brown Pride, Latin Explosion, Day of the Dead. I mean, there's so many, so much stuff that goes on. There's even um, the whole month of March is um, Chicano History Month. Now, what is your favorite, I guess, Latin holiday or an event that a crew puts on? Hmm, that's kind of hard. I've had different ones at different times. Like last year, my favorite probably was Latin Explosion. Uh, this year, I think my favorites were uh, two events dur during the uh, La Semana Latina that we had. We had one event called Movimiento Saboroso, where we had where we taught people different dances from across across Latin America, and we also had Africanismo y América Latina, um, basically you know, African. In, in Latin America, basically talking about connections between uh, uh, African Americans, Africans, and, uh, and Latinos. So I guess those two are probably my two favorites this year because it seemed to touch more people. People really enjoyed them and had a good time. And we plan on repeating those this semester, too. Now, is there a difference between Chicano and Latino? Uh, yes, there is. Um, I'm not the best authority, but I will say that to be Latino would be to talk about people not from Puerto Rico, uh, República Dominicana, Costa Rica, South America, and Chicano. It's uh, it's more in reference to people that are from uh, Aztlan referring to like not only Mexico now but um, what used to be Mexico like California, Nevada, Montana, that whole area that whole area. So but then a lot a lot of people have a different take on what Chicano is. I would say Chicano is more like a system of belief. Whereas maybe Latino is Maybe a little more ethnicity-based, but I mean, they're both kind of uh, classifications, but there's a difference, and some people may tell you some different things, because not everybody feels the exact same way about it. Right. So, why is it important to have a group like Culturas de las Razas Unidas on campus? Um, I've noticed that a lot of students here, 
they come from backgrounds where they don't have uh, exposure to people from different cultures and people from different ways of life. And so what we try to do is kind of try to address that and give people, you know, that kind of exposure. And it's important because today, you know, we can all see, like, the economy, politics, uh, issues, they're more globalized. Everyone's interconnected. What one person does affects another one. So it's important for a group like Crew to... Um, bring people from different backgrounds together, uh, bring together Latinos that come from different countries, different backgrounds, and also to uh, make sure that the community of Lansing uh, receives the help that it needs. What are some issues that Chicanos or Latinos face? Uh, issues are... Issues for Chicanos and issues for Latinos, some are the same, some are different. But I guess to be more in general, uh, there's the issue of identity. Because like I said, not everybody's from the same. There's, I think, over 50 countries in South America. Um, so you have issues between uh, Latinos that are born here in the States and, and uh, Latinos from abroad. And there's like a little disconnect there. Um, How about the Latinos in the States? In the States? Um, issues are a lot like a lot of other people. You need jobs. Uh, you want a good education. Uh, you just want to be well represented. And, uh, of course, of course, immigration is an issue. But, uh, but the issues aren't, re aren't really that, that much different and special. Latinos are just like anybody else. You know, they work hard, they try to do the best they can for family. I would say family is another strong issue. Um, but yeah. So you studied abroad in Mexico this past summer. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, what are your favorite aspects of, I guess, the culture there? And what was your experience? I went to Mexico to learn more Spanish. I knew I would learn more being in, in a Spanish-speaking environment. But I guess I really learned, I really got to develop more as a person because I stayed with a, stayed with a family. So, I mean, now they're my new family. Mm -hmm. you know, I have another family somewhere. But uh, the experience is more personal for me because you would think that going to a different place where people are entirely different from you, you think that maybe you can't be the same, maybe you can't get along or develop the same type of rapport with them that maybe you would in your own country. But I found that language didn't stop that, culture didn't stop that. I made a lot of, uh, I made a lot of friends and I developed a lot of meaningful relationships. So what I learned, I guess, about myself was that I had the, I really did have the ability to look at what we typically see as barriers and just step over them. And also learn that people in general are really good. I mean you have you have certain you have certain people that are more selfish, people who want more for themselves. But I would say more people than not have really good values. So that's what I took from that situation. So I decided I really could be that way myself and I uh, learned how meaningful relationships are 
making benefits in terms of your economic status, uh, how you feel personally. But I learned how those things are important, and I learned really more about people's capacity. So what would you say are the cultural differences differences between your experience in Mexico and being at school here in the U.S.? In Mexico, the pace is definitely a lot more relaxed. There's not an emphasis to go, 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 or I have to have it now. In, in Mexico, you might have a little money, you might have a lot of money, but it doesn't really make a difference if you feel good about yourself, if your family's well. Family's really important there, a lot more so than here, I would say. Um, so if you have those things, I mean, you basically can be happy. And also, also the food's, the food's <laughs> a lot different, too. Uh, def definitely a lot of uh, sabor, a lot of flavor, uh, have different dishes. So, I mean, that was excellent, too. But I would say those are those are the differences, definitely the pace and the pace of life. Is there any before we start wrapping things up, is there anything else that you'd like to add about uh Culturas de las Rosas Unidas or the Latin explosion that's coming up this Friday? Um with Culturas de las Rosas Unidas, uh I would just say that anyone can feel more than welcome. Um they they wanted to check us out. Um, it's not just for Latinos; it's for anybody that um, either you know, that wants that wants to learn something, wants to have fun, wants to build friendships. And about Latin Explosion, like I said, the theme is the Latin Star Awards. So like we'll have we'll do like a comedic take on um, certain Latin celebrities, but. Uh, like like I said, feel welcome. Um, it's for it's for anybody and everybody to come. Even people that don't even go to MSU can come. Um, you'll see some singing. You'll see some dancing. You'll see some poetry. You'll see some comedy. You'll see a lot of passion. You'll feel a lot of energy. And uh, think think you definitely take a good feeling away from it. And when and where is the Latin Explosion? And where can people go for more information? Um, Latin Explosion is. On January 23rd, which is this Friday, it's at the MSU Auditorium. Uh, the doors open at 6:30. Um, for more information, you can send an email to crew at uh, crew c r u at msu dot edu, or you could call uh, you could call 517-974-4544. Yeah, I guess those I guess those ways will work. All right. Well, thank you again, Jack, for coming in and talking about Culturas de las Razas Unidas and the Latin Explosion. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. 
A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. Welcome back to Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. Before I get to the next guest, I want to update you on a few events that are happening this weekend. On Thursday, Tiempo Libre, who will be on the show later on tonight, um, they are a Cuban band. They are also um, were nominated for a Grammy twice, uh, two years in a row consecutively, um, and they'll perform with MSU Symphony Orchestra um, with a piece that was written by an MSU composer um, who is um, a professor at the MSU College of Music, um, and that will be at the Wharton Center at 7.30 p.m., also on Thursday, I believe at MSU Union, I didn't end up writing it down for some reason, but um, Where's the Band Tour will be here um, featuring Matt Pyron, former um, member of the Get Up Kids, if you guys remember that from a few years ago. Um, and I can't even read my own writing. Dustin Kensru of Thrice, uh, Chris Connolly of Saves the Day, and Anthony Ranor of Bayside. And that will be Thursday. Um, that's Where's the Band Tour. And on Friday, Larry the Cable Guy comes to the Breslin Center, you know, the guy who started the whole Get Her Done line. Um, he'll be at uh, the Breslin Center. Performance is at 8 p.m. For more information, you can go to breslincenter.com or call 1-800-968-2737. Also on Friday, the multi-platinum Motown recording artist, The Contours, will perform at 7.30 at Charlotte Performing Arts Center. For more information, you can go to cpapresents.com or call 517-541-5690. And also on Friday, the 10-pound fiddle concert series features the Chicago-based duo Small Potatoes at 8 p.m. at the Unitarian Universalist Church. Small Potato performs on a variety of instruments, including guitar, tin whistle, flute, and mandolin. And finally, on Saturday, um, Scene Metro Space Folk Festival is at 8 p.m. at Scene Metro Space. Um, performers include Seth Bernard, Chris Bathgate, uh, Chris Durham, uh, Brandon John Foote, and Michael Beauchamp. And you can call 319-6832 for more information. So... Giving you some options for this weekend if you didn't know what you wanted to do. And now on the show, I have uh, Eric from the Diversity Board, and he will talk about the upcoming Diversity Career Fair. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> good. Um, what does the uh, Diversity Board do? Uh, the Diversity Board is a uh, student-ran organization. It's uh, 12 members, and we promote diversity uh, around campus at MSU. Uh, we act as the liaison between the employers and the students. Uh, employers often look for ways to seek diversity on campus, and we uh, be that uh, we act as that liaison for them. Now, what does diversity mean? Diversity, it, it can mean anything, and it depends on who you are, where you come from. But me personally, I believe diversity means just you know different cultures and di and understanding and taking appreciation of different cultures and different types of people. So when you're so you're going to have a career fair. What do you think um, employers look for? I mean, for this di diversity career fair, um, are they targeting? Um, 
people that they can see um, in their workforce to encompass a diverse group of people, or is it? I mean, what what do you think people are targeting? Yeah, um, that's always important for employers. They do want to get diverse uh, people as far as uh, even races and as far as ideas and minds. But the biggest thing for our career fair that um, we're promoting is a diversity as far as majors and students. Uh, okay. This career fair is for any student in all majors. So it's not just a business career fair, you know, science career fair. It's it's welcome and open for everybody. So we've had, I think, two other guests on here to talk about career fairs. And I looked on um, a website, and I think there's like eight career fairs going on this semester alone. What do you think the diversity career fair has to offer that others don't? Uh, well, I think one thing is the what I just mentioned, being like having a lots of different type of majors and being open to all students. Another thing that it uh, has that most career fairs doesn't is it has like a really um, nice small setting, but it's not really too small. But because it, it has a lot of companies, has over 115 companies going to be there, but it's not as big as a career gallery, so it's not as uh, frightening for people who haven't been before. It's a kind of an easier way to transition into a career fair and still get the experience of tons of employers. And before the career fair, um, I went online and there were some tips to do before you go. I think you guys had some cram sessions sure. or something like that. Um, what, what are some things that you suggest for people that are planning on coming to the diversity career fair? Okay. Um, I would say, um, you know, be prepared to um, arrive on time. Also, um, make sure you have your um, outfit, you know, business professional outfit already picked out because, you know, last minute things do happen. So I would say, like, prepare that the night before or earlier that morning. Make sure you have, um, like, you know, copies of resume, I would suggest is pretty good. Uh, decent number of copies because you never know how many companies you will seek out. See, those are the big things. And just, um, you know, be, be prepared to talk about yourself. Be prepared to give kind of like your 30-second commercial to the companies to try to sell yourself. And when, when and where is the career fair? The diversity career fair is at the Kellogg Center, and that is uh, this Thursday, January 22nd, and it doors open at 5.30, and it's until 8.30. That's p.m. Now, I was also looking online, and I think on My Spartan Career, you can go online, and then you go on My Spartan Career, and um, you kind of put down all this information, what your major is, you know, what year are you, um, and it kind of, and it, and it lists all the different um I guess, employers that will be coming, and it kind of helps you plan who to go to, what they're looking for. Um, and so I think that was a great way to help prepare. Um, what are, I guess, talk a little bit about how My Spartan Career works. Okay. Well, My Spartan Career is uh, ran for MSU students, and you can register on there, and it gives you um, options to fill out a profile to list your educational background as far as um, what your interests are, your career interests. And it, and a lot of companies that recruit at MSU use My Spartan Career to um, link to our students. And a lot of employers use it to post jobs and to actually um, students can submit resumes through My Spartan Career. And even at um, the career fair, there'll be a lot of um, employers that you meet there that will say, go on My Spartan Career and submit your resume to us because they like that's an official way for their company to run their recruiting operations. And My Spartan Career is a really effective tool for students to be able to look at jobs and look for, you know, and they have jobs listed for all kinds of majors and all kinds of, you know, undergrad levels as far as if you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So and it has internship, full-time opportunities on there. It's a really useful tool. Now, have you have you done this before? Um, I have attended the um, career fair before, but I haven't been a member of the Diversity Career Fair Board, so this would be my first time. So this would be the first time I'm actually helping out. What are the ages of people that usually participate? Is it mostly like seniors and juniors, or do you even see freshmen there? Um, what, what 
people usually end up going? Yeah, oh, uh, well, I say for the majority of the time, there's a lot of juniors and seniors there because, you know, with seniors, they're looking for full-time opportunities and juniors are looking for those internships. But a lot of freshmen and sophomore, sophomores go as well. And I believe the earlier you go to a career fair, the better it is for you in your future. Because if you've already been to a few career fairs, by the time you're a junior and senior, it'll be like a breeze to you to go there. And also going as a junior, I mean, as a freshman and sophomore provides for uh, networking opportunities. So even if they don't um, hire you for or give you an interview for an internship, or at full time, you can still make uh, connections with the employer. So when you come back a year later, when you're a junior or senior, they will remember you and you have, a, um, I guess, an edge on the uh, competition. So what are some of the employers that will be here? Um, there's all kinds of employers that will be there. you got Best Buy will be there, Target will be there, Philip Morris, uh, 3M, Norfolk Southern, Union Pacific. There's a whole lot. There's over 115 employers that will be there. Um, now let's start talking a little bit about the diversity board. Um, how would you describe the board as being diverse? Um, well, we're diverse as far as you could say for uh, like race terms, but we're also diverse as far as our backgrounds, as far as educationally. We have business majors, science majors, engineering majors. We're, we're very diverse in that sense as well. So we, we bring different perspectives to the board when we're you know in our meetings. We're not just all business-minded or science-minded. So it really helps to have that diverse mindset. Mm-hmm. And I went, I went on collegeprowler.com, and I think it's, it's a website kind of set up when um, college students rate their university based on all these criteria like, you know, boys, A-, minus, girls, mm-hmm. A-, minus, you mm-hmm. know, all this stuff. And then in diversity, we were given a C. Yeah. We're, do you think that that's accurate? Um, well, I can tell you it's pretty accurate because, um, well, you know, we're, we're about average, but that's the goal is to try to increase that as far as increasing the diversity, the awareness of um, the importance of the diversity, and then also bringing together diverse groups of people to, you know, for different events. And that's kind of what our board's focus is. And we're going to, I mean, every year that we are around, we're going to tr- strive to be better than the next year. So hopefully we can get to a point where diversity on Michigan State's campus is rated an A. How do you think we can get there? I think the big thing is just um, spreading awareness, letting people know that diversity is first and foremost important, and secondly, just giving them opportunities to engage in diverse opportunities as far as uh, with diverse people of different educational backgrounds or religious backgrounds or educational backgrounds. So what are your thoughts on affirmative action? Um, well, my thoughts on affirmative action, well, I think it's, um, I think it's an important thing because it, it, it does give people opportunities that may not have had opportunities before. And I think any time that you can give someone an opportunity that may have not had it, I think that can be very helpful in someone's life. Now, did you watch the inauguration? Yes, I did. What did you think? It was really amazing. It was um, it was unreal to see how many people are out there and how many people are moved by it. Um, one thing that I think about when I think about Obama is I see how many celebrities like Obama and how many celebrity supporters he has. And that's mm-hmm. been very rare in the past. Not a lot of people speak out on social issues as celebrities. Like you have a lot of athletes and musicians and actors and stuff speaking out at this election. So I think that kind of goes to show and tells you how much of an impact he has. And today just kind of culminated all that. So do you think that his presidency will help promote diversity? I, I definitely think it will. I think his presidency has uh, maybe opened up the eyes of certain people and um, let people realize that it, it's a real opportunity no matter where you've come from or who you are, that you have an opportunity to get to the highest position in the country. So I think that helps people really understand the importance of diversity. Yeah. Um, now back to, um, I guess, the career fair. Um, what do you think makes people successful in the workforce? Um, well, I think it's uh, 
it's it's not so much it's not a hundred percent about what you learned in college because everything isn't always about you know just facts and figures. I think a lot of the thing is being able to have good communication skills, being able to work well with people, and also diverse people, whether it be the people of different races or genders. I think that's very important because you're going to interact with people who aren't necessarily in your comfort zone or people you normally would hang out with at work. And I think you need to be open to um, other people's views, and I think that really helps people become successful. Yeah. Um, now, does the Diversity Board put on other events besides the uh, Diversity Career Fair? Yes, we do. Um, this past semester, we put on an event. Um, a Google came to campus, and they um, asked us to kind of help them set up, find some kind of diverse students to put on an event. We had that event earlier this year in um, in October, I believe, and it was very successful. And then this is our um, second event of the year, and it's it's our biggest event usually. And we had, like, a lot of turnout for this one. And we are planning to do more things in the future. Um, we, we may have a leadership forum this semester, which we're going to try to bring together leaders of different student organizations, um, of all kinds of organizations, and try to get those leaders to share ideas with each other to see what was successful for them and so they can draw off other um, organizations' leaders' ideas. Okay. And where can people go for more information if they want to get involved in the diversity board or um, where can they go for more information to um, participate in the Diversity Career Fair? Okay, yeah, the website is careernetwork.msu.edu, and that will give you information about the career fair and about the Diversity Career Fair Board. All right. Well, thank you very much, Eric, for coming in. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before I start wrapping things up? No, um, I guess just the Diversity Career Fair. Diversity Career Fair is very um, important, and it can, it can help you. It can help students no matter what age, what grade level. I think it's... Uh, a great opportunity, and it could jumpstart your career. And again, it's uh, January 22nd from 5.30 to 8.30 at Kellogg Hotel and Conference Center. Yep, and that's across from Brody Hall. All right, well, thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. When you get up in the morning and turn on the radio, you don't want to hear those other guys talking on your way to work, do you? You don't want to hear talking. You want to hear music. So here at The Impact, we are making you a promise. We're calling it the More Music Morning's 89-second play. We, The Impact, pledge that every weekday morning from 8 to 10 a.m., we will shut up and play music. We pledge that we won't talk for more than 89 seconds at a time, meaning more music all morning long. We pledge that every caller who requests a song between 8 and 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, will be entered to win a great Impact prize. And we pledge that in return for your listening to us, we will listen to you and play more music that you want to hear. So tune into The Impact for more music mornings. Let us know what to play, and maybe you could win some cool stuff. Only here on 88.9 The Impact. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. 
Welcome back to Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. Um, up next, we have Tiempo Libre that will call in at approximately 7.45. Um, they are one of the hottest Latin bands today. They um, are Grammy-nominated. And this Thursday, they'll perform at the Wharton Center at 7.30 p.m., um, and they will perform uh, a piece in collaboration with the MSU College of Music, a special performance of Rumba Sinfonica, a new piece for symphony orchestra and Cuban band composed by highly respected Venezuelan classical composer and MSU College of Music faculty member, Ricardo Lorenz, and it'll be performed with the MSU Symphony Orchestra conducted by Rafael Jimenez. So um, while we're waiting for them to call in, I just wanted to give you a little piece of what you may hear on Thursday that they'll be performing, and this is Rumba Sinfonica.
Welcome back. I turned down uh, the Roomba Sinfonica, and now I'm here on the phone with Ricardo Lorenz, who is the composer of Roomba Sinfonica. So, Ricardo, can you tell me a little bit about this piece and how you started the collaboration? Well, this piece is unique because it brings together two worlds uh, that rarely uh, come together, and that is a symphonic orchestra, meaning... 90-piece orchestra, and a seven-piece uh, Latin jazz ensemble. Uh, it, it is unique because I, I bring these two uh, worlds uh, on their own terms. In other words, I don't try to have the orchestra sound like a Latin jazz band, and I don't uh, attempt to make the Latin jazz band sound like an orchestra, but I have them just have a dialogue, talk to each other on, uh, in a concert setting. So that's that's the basic idea of of, of this uh, almost thirty minute piece. It was, it was also unique because uh, I worked um, very closely with the director of, of Tiempo Libre, the band that has been playing this throughout the country, and this is about the uh, 14th performance of, of Rumba Sinfonica. And I collaborated with Jorge Gomez, the director, uh, very very uh, closely. And to the point that um, a lot of his uh, feedback influenced the orchestral uh, material. The, the, what, I, what I tried was to have a piece where the band, which is almost like a concerto, you know, a concerto where you have a soloist who is featured and an orchestra that backs it up. And, um, what I tried to do is have the, the soloist, this band, um, really have ownership of this piece. And to do that, I had to let... Jorge Gomez lead the way as far as the style that they're very known for, which is called timba. It's very particular. Had I not done that, done that, um, this uh, piece would have maybe not seemed as natural and organic to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, wh- how would you describe um, timba? What is, what is? How does that sound? Well, I'll, I'll describe it in a way that a lot of Cubans don't don't like to don't don't like it, but. It's 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 kind of a easy way to understand it. Timba is uh, the uh, the salsa, so to speak, that um, a young Cuban plays. In other words, it's, it's salsa in that sense. It's a mixture of of every single music you hear out there, but rooted on on Cuban dance rhythms. But so it brings um, together the old rhythms like the Buenavista Social Club type of rhythms, you know, cha-cha-cha and rumba and guaguancó, but it mixes it with jazz and even hip-hop and rap and, and rock and roll and R&B. That's what timba is. And, and, and um, it's very particular of, of the young generation of Cubans. Okay, so this was premiered in uh, Minneapolis in November 2007, and it was commissioned by uh, the Minnesota Orchestra, the Detroit Symphony, uh, the Ravina Festival, and the Festival of Arts Boca. Um, yeah. How did how did this all begin? 
That's a great question because it hits uh, also the uniqueness of the project, and that is that it was not only a collaboration between, let's say, the performer, in this case, Tiempo Libre, the, 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 the timba group, and, and the composer, myself, but it also involved uh, the, the um, arts management world, and that is that uh, also a manager had to be involved to pitch this idea to big orchestras. Otherwise, this would have never uh, um, flown uh, the way it did. And, and what happened was that the manager of Tempo Libre, uh, who uh, manages also classical musicians like James Galway and Joshua Bell and so on and so forth, uh, um, started selling the... the um, and by the way, the same manager that manages Tempo Libre uh, began selling this idea to big orchestras. And it was not until um, Minnesota picked it up that slowly you had sort of like a snowball effect. And and in order to uh, to to make this work, uh, Elizabeth Sobel, the manager of the Temple Libre, who's a real genius of music, of music management, um, had to sell it under the the pop series concerts because they were the only ones willing to risk and to try a project like this. With, and and that's the way uh, we got Minnesota on board. And then from after having Minnesota, well, then everything fell into place. And Detroit also uh, jumped on board. And then Ravinia had done some things with Ravinia. So we all pulled together our, our, our contacts. Um, and, uh, well, it has gone way beyond those four co-commissioners. And as I just said earlier, we have had about 14 performances. And there's another six uh, performances uh, before the summer. Wow. So you've had extensive uh, experience composing. Um, what was it like when you finally heard this all put together with an orchestra for the first time? Was it different than hearing your compositions performed any other time? Uh, well, I mean, I've, I've been at many premieres. This was, this was special because uh, it really brought together the best of, all, of both worlds, the best of classical music and the best of, of Latin music, two worlds that I understand and I've been involved in, but I've never had a chance to have a, uh, a, a production at this, at this high professional level. So for me, it was, it was uh, like reaching a milestone in a way. It sounds corny, but it really was, and it still is. And, and, um, and that sense was unique. I, I was involved with, uh, with, with other institutions doing smaller scale projects, but this, this is big, it's complex, because it also involves um, a, a non-amplified orchestra and an amplified ensemble and, and requires a very good sound engineer. So if you start adding up every, every, every element that needs to be in place for this project, it's, it's complex. It's the most complex project I've been involved in and, and at, uh, at perhaps the highest level. So talk a little bit about your uh, composition experience leading up to this. Uh, before this, you mean? Yep. Oh, well, I've had the training that, like, uh, that any classical composer uh, has. I started in Venezuela, and yes, I started during the beginnings of the now very well-known um, Sistema de Orquestas Juveniles in Venezuela, that, law, that big network of uh, symphonic orchestras. I started uh, about the time that they began, did my conservatory work there, and then went to the U.S. to study at Indiana University, a phenomenal school, of course. And I studied, you know, composition. I did my master's and my doctorate at the University of Chicago with a Pulitzer Prize winner. 
No, well, we all do, uh, but I've never been satisfied just doing chamber and, and, and sort of so-called classical music. I've, I've always, always been involved in, in jazz and in salsa, and I've had salsa bands, I've had Latin jazz bands, rock bands. So um, I, I, I think that uh, we benefit as musicians uh, the more styles, uh, fr from, from the diversity of styles we have available now, and I've always followed that. So um, as far as composition... I've done many other projects where I have fused elements here and there at different at different levels. Um, but as I said before, Roma Sinfonica really is a milestone because um, it, it came it came very naturally. The collaboration came very naturally. The people involved came very naturally. So it was it was it was not forced upon anybody, and that's unique. Um, now, in this in this piece um, that'll be performed on Thursday, it's with the MSU Symphony Orchestra in Tiempo Libre, and Tiempo Libre were they are all classically trained musicians. Um, yeah. They're trained in Cuba, um, and they were trained there at a time when it was illegal to listen to American songs. Um, so they're classically trained musicians, um, but they have this kind of Cuban feel when they play. And then um, they'll be performing your piece. Um, and you were born in Venezuela, and it will be conducted by Rafael Jimenez, who, while he wasn't born in Venezuela, he moved there at an early age and started performing with the Simon Bolivar's uh, uh, Symphony Orchestra. And from my understanding, uh, Simon Bolivar's Symphony Orchestra was kind of a, a project in which so many kids that are coming from very poor families, like in slums, a kind of get into this what they call sistema or system where they are handed an instrument as, as young as the age of two and they start playing and the reason why they play classical music um, is because like at home like let's say there's abuse or something um, they, they're, they'll they listen to the radio at home and they'll hear pop music or stuff like that but um, to be able to, to learn an instrument and, and play classically just kind of gives them an outlet of their own and it's kind of their way it's kind of like a um, I guess it's for social change in a way from my understanding um, Simon Bolivar can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I think you made a you you offered a great description of it. I think you really got the gist of it very well. Uh, well, as I said, when you were asking uh, when you asked me about my my training as a composer, I grew up uh, with the advent of that of that movement. It started in 1973, precisely when I started music thereabouts. And I uh, uh, yes, I saw the 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 wonderful effects. It, it influenced all my friends who are now musicians, and even those that were there have not been. It has influenced all the parents and family members of, of all these um, uh, of all these um, uh, young musicians that have been in, the, in this orchestra. Uh, and you know, it's, it's it's amazing to think that um, the uh, these, the uh, Simón Bolívar Orchestra and the network of orchestra, which is called El Sistema, uh, is the one thing that Venezuela. Uh, has to feel proud is, is pretty much the only thing that really works there in that country. I must be honest. Wow. It, well, while everything is just in shambles and it's not consistent and it uh, it depends on um, whoever's in power, this system, this, this network, and this philosophy has been able to um, uh, be in existence and, and thriving for more than 30 years, like 35 years. So it is very admirable. And yes, we all, we're all as Venezuelans feel proud of it. Um, and, and it has affected all of us in one way or another. Some people, of course, are critical of it because uh, too many resources go 
to just this one way of thinking of music. And um, if you're there, you, you want resources to go to other other uh, initiatives, which also are very are, are very um, uh, are worthy of, of the financing. But but uh, well, it has so much promotion and has shown to be so so positive this this, this sistema that um, a lot of resources go go to that and nothing else. But um, all in all, it, you know, we're all very very happy that it, the world now has has really jumped on board and 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 understood the significance of this. In fact, they're they're imitating or copying this sistema even in places like Berlin. And um, and I don't know whether you have um, read this, but the Berlin Philharmonic has a, a partnership with Simon Bolivar Orchestra, and they go back and forth, and you have people from the Berlin Philharmonic coming constantly to Venezuela, and you have kids from Venezuela, from the Sistema, go to uh, to Germany as well and, and do workshops there and, and so on and so forth. So you're seeing the rippling effects of, of, of these last 35 years. For example, um, the, the youngest performer ever be, ever been hired by the Berlin Philharmonic is a double bass player from Venezuela. He, when he was hired, he was 17. He's still there. This was about five years ago. So it, it's phenomenal. And um, even as a composer, as I said, I, I'd never played in one of these orchestras because I'm a pianist and not a violinist um, or a trumpet player. That, you know, orchestras have more places for those instruments. Even I, as a composer, uh, got uh, I was very influenced by, by this whole movement. That's awesome. Um, now, I actually have to wrap it up for the hour, but is there anything that you want to add before I um, finish up the interview? Oh, this is wonderful. Your questions have been have been right on, and uh, I tell you, I think uh, not to make it dramatic, but uh, think of what happened today in Washington. That we have a new beginning, and 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 a beginning that is all about openness and and, and change. I think uh, again, not to dramatize it, but projects like these are not elitist. These are all the Rumble Symphonic is all about being inclusive and still be very. I mean, be um, also uh, high quality and and uh, aesthetically um, uh, sophisticated. Yet it it, it means or or it, it uh, seeks to include uh, and to bring different forces together that usually don't come together. So in that sense, I think it's very appropriate that this piece is being played here. It's almost like a homecoming for me that's being played here in MSU right on the eve of the uh, the inauguration of a new uh, a new era. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Again, for listeners that were just tuning in, um, I'm on the phone with Ricardo Lorenz, who is the composer of Rumba Sinfonica, which will be performed on Thursday at 7.30 p.m. in the Wharton Center with uh, two-time Grammy-nominated Tiempo Libre and the MSU Symphony Orchestra conducted by Rafael Jimenez. Great. Thank you, Emily. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.